0: welcome back to another episode of not a girl boss i'm mckenna and i'm Peyton. and this time it's been a rough couple of days let's be honest i mean i think if anybody has seen any bit of news has touched their phone has spoken to another person in the past week then or week in a couple of days then i think you can all guess what we're about to talk about which is the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that this is a difficult time for millions of people in the United States right now. And it's it's especially infuriating and heartbreaking as a young woman in this country. Yeah. Um, and so Peyton and I talked about what we were going to cover this week, and it only made sense for us to address this. We didn't feel like with the platform that we have and the message that you know we want to send that we could just act like this didn't happen or not address it or share our thoughts. We wanted to just sit down and have the opportunity to kind of process things in real time. And so we've kind of made the decision to break this episode into two parts. So what we're gonna be discussing today is a lot of the background and the history and sort of the implications that, that's, that this decision is going to have um on people and so because i know that for me sure i know a lot of the basics but when i've been reading different resources and articles and instagram posts about everything that's going on there's been some language that i'm unfamiliar with and so i felt like it would be a good place to start if we just go back to square one and kind of take it from the beginning and basically go in chronological order and then so essentially part one is is more fact-based and obviously our opinions will be very much clear throughout all of this, but then part two is when we'll really kind of dive into how we're feeling, you know, at the time of recording this, I believe it's been four days since the decision. So hasn't even been a full week to really process, you know, in addition to having internships and going to work and, you know, trying to still be present, having to be present yeah. and I think giving ourselves a little bit of additional time to kind of think through our thoughts before we just hop on with, you know, the initial rage (laughs) that I know I'm feeling, Um, we thought it might be more productive to kind of start with, with the facts and then um, give, give our opinions late.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of break down what is going on right now because, Like you mentioned, you can't escape this news no matter what device you're on or no matter who you're talking to.
2: And with that comes just an influx of information, so much of it. And I would argue that not all of it is super accurate and also not super helpful because I think some of, you know, the words that people use, and things like that, can be a little inaccessible for people to kind of understand what is fully going on. And it's just really overwhelming to try and take in all of this information at once. Um, and so that's why in this episode, we kind of wanted to do our own work for you so that this can be an episode where you're kind of getting like a decent portion of these facts but like in one place and something that just like is a bit more cohesive and makes sense and is like easy to like fully comprehend um because even though we're both of us are like women's and gender studies majors we even acknowledged a lot of this is like difficult to you know comprehend all of it
0: so it's overwhelming I found myself all weekend kind of going on social media hoping for some sort of escape almost but then my social media was nothing but understandably so nothing about information and resources and while I was very much appreciative to see so much of it on my timelines and on my feeds it was a lot to kind of take in at once and I would find myself going on social media less than normal purely so that my mind could kind of like have a break from thinking about it which is privileged to say, I think, but I think it's something that we all can kind of relate to or something that I would imagine a lot of us could relate to feeling. It's just that overwhelming sense of what is happening? What do I do? How can I help? So yeah, um, I definitely agree with you, Peyton. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So yeah, I guess we can kind of begin like talking about history a little bit and kind of
0: contextualizing
2: all of this?
0: Yeah, okay. So Roe v. Wade, it's the case that we all keep hearing about. I thought that it would be helpful to kind of start there um, and explain what that was, because obviously it sets the precedent for everything that's been happening now. So the case was brought by Norma McCorvey, known by the legal pseudonym, pseudonym Jane Roe. In 1969, she became pregnant with her third child and she wanted an abortion, but living in Texas, it was illegal to get an abortion at the time unless it was necessary to save the mother's life. So her attorneys filed a lawsuit against her local district attorney, Henry Wade, which is how we got Roe v. Wade, um, alleging that Texas's abortion laws were unconstitutional. So ultimately this case made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court issued a seven to two decision deciding that um, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution provides everyone with a fundamental right to privacy. And this is the right to privacy that would protect a pregnant woman's right to an abortion. Um, I think it's important to kind of cut in here and say that due process, it essentially means that somebody has the right to fair treatment through the normal judicial system. Um, So you're entitled to like a jury of peers, things like that, that ensure that your your case is fairly considered under United States law. And then the 14th Amendment, um, one of its provisions, it has many, one of which, um, this was one of the laws, one of the three amendments, I mean, passed during reconstruction. So in addition to saying that anybody born in the United States is a citizen, which worked to um, make formerly enslaved people's citizens of the United States. Another provision of the 14th Amendment was that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, um, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. So this is just one section. There are actually many sections of the 14th Amendment but this is how it applies to abortion. Mm -hmm. It was essentially saying that a state couldn't deprive anybody of life, liberty, or property without due process. And if due process includes fair treatment through the normal judicial system, and due process implies a sense of, it provides a fundamental right to privacy, this is how they legalized abortion. Now, at the time, this was a controversial decision, not because people, well, there were many people who disagreed with it in the first place, then there were people who agreed with the, the with the decision but felt that the um, legal like reasoning behind it was flawed. Um, so I do think that that's interesting. I'm not going to get into all of that because then it gets nitty gritty law stuff that I'm not a lawyer. So, But I think that hopefully lays the ground. And I think that we've seen a lot, or I know that I've seen a lot of stuff relating to this fundamental right to privacy as it also connects to things like same-sex marriage, um contraception in interracial marriage um there's a lot of things that kind of fall under that fundamental right to privacy or that have been legalized or allowed through this fundamental right to privacy but i'll get back to that later oh. so something that i thought that was interesting about roe v wade that i actually did not know was that it had really strong protections for women seeking abortions and it basically had this trimester system where during the first trimester, governments could not regulate abortion at all. Um, The only requirement that they could make was that they be performed by a licensed physician. During the second trimester, governments could regulate the abortion procedure, but only for the purpose of protecting maternal health and not for protecting fetal life. Um, And after viability, which includes the third trimester of pregnancy and the last few weeks of the second trimester, Abortions could be regulated and even prohibited, but only if the laws provided exceptions for abortions necessary to save the life or health of the mother. So I personally thought that this was really interesting because I have been, I think we've all been aware of these like crazy strict um, abortion laws that apply like after six weeks or things like that. And the reason that those are allowed is because after Roe v. Wade, so Roe v. Wade, the decision came out in 1973, to be specific,
2: Mm-hmm. There was
0: another case in I believe 1992. Yes, it was decided in 1992 called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Um and so it overruled Roe v. Wade's trimester framework um which me which meant that states could now regulate um abortions in the first trimester and have, you know, more strict regulations in the second and third, essentially, you know, banning them in the second and third if they wanted to, which is where we were pre the most recent decision, which was in a case called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Mm -hmm. So Dobbs, which is what we, what they just officially ruled on, was essentially they were challenging a Mississippi law that was banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. So the goal of this case was to say that that law was unconstitutional and that that shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be allowed to to regulate an abortion in that little amount of time. That's how I've understood it so far. Yeah. And this is the case that was struck down. Not only did the Supreme Court decide that that law was constitutional, they took it a step further beyond just saying that this one Mississippi law was like legal, they also decided to overturn Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And that's why we are where we are now. So they did overturn Roe v. Wade, but it's not like they just revisited Roe v. Wade, there had to be a case in which this came up. And so the majority opinion was written by Justice Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, and Neil Gorsuch. The dissenting opinion was written by Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, and Stephen Breyer. Breyer. Chief Justice John Roberts agreed that the Mississippi law should be upheld, but did not join the majority in the opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade and Casey. So I know that was a lot to cover, um, but I felt like kind of going through those three cases, low key feeling like I'm back in AP government, but I think that kind of having that foundation is really helpful because when you see all these things about due process and right to privacy and, you hear, like I'd never even heard of the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So I had no idea that there was a trimester system that got overturned and that's how we ended up where we are now. Um, So I felt like that could be kind of helpful in contextualizing this because the issue of abortion in the United States, they've, you know, we've seen it time and time again about people trying to regulate women's access. And it's not just out of nowhere. You know, they did it in 1992. When they restricted things again, you know, they took away freedoms and they've done it again now in 2022. Yeah. So it's it's as out of the blue as it seems, I think for activists who have been paying attention to this for a long time, it's yeah. not yeah. out of the blue. I know that for me, and I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, Peyton, but when the decision was leaked, I want to say we were still on campus. I mean, we shut down. You and I spent a good hour talking about it. And it did seem like it came out of nowhere to me because this was not something on my radar to be concerned about at all. It was, it literally wasn't until that decision was leaked. And I wonder, you know, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I wonder if they did that on purpose in the hopes that it would kind of dilute people's reactions to the final decision. Maybe. I'm very happy to see that that doesn't appear to be the case. There have been, you know, protests by thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So that's obviously not the case, but it does, it does make me wish that it was something that I had, I was paying attention to the laws in, in states, you know, we would talk about it almost every class period about the different laws that were occurring in different states, but it did not cross my mind to think that it would be eliminated entirely, like that protection would be eliminated in full by the supreme court of the united states you know by the federal government of the united states
2: yeah yeah i i also feel a little bit naive in believing that like this could never happen i didn't think that it would happen even like after trump's presidency for some reason like with all of the horrific things that have happened and all these horrible legislations that have been put in place. I I don't know. I didn't think that Roe v. Wade would actually be overturned. But meanwhile, you know, there have been like, like you said, a lot of activists, a lot of people in grassroots organizations that have been preparing for this, like even even before Trump's presidency, especially now learning that these other cases have happened, um, But like, especially in 2020 when Trump was elected, like people were preparing for this and that's why, you know, there are currently like a lot of organizations and funds that are like, they have a lot of things in place to help people and protect people because they've been like gearing up for this. And I've just kind of been ignorant to the fact that this could be our reality, so.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something that I do want to stress. It's like, I know that I live in a state, Peyton lives in a state, and we go to school in a state where we would be protected. You know what I mean? The right to abortion is legal in those three states. And so I know that while this may not be something that I personally have to worry about, I just think it's incredibly important to kind of put that individualistic mindset aside. Even though that's what we're raised at, like raised to that's the way that we're raised to think in the United States. It's all about American individualism. It's how does this impact me? Okay, if this doesn't impact me, then why do I have to care? It's like, no, this may not impact me, but as a collective, I feel like, and I I'm happy to see it, like we need to be like unified in our frustration because it it's not enough just to have. X amount of states, we are going to break that down in a minute, but it's not enough to have X amount of states where it's legal and just kind of feel like, oh, well, that's okay. You know, not, yes, not all hope is lost, but that, that is below bare minimum. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I think that like, yes, I personally, you know, I do feel a little bit better because I live in a state that is democratic and isn't going to overturn abortion. But at the same time, all of us should be a little bit scared of the power that our Supreme Court and our government in general has, and is able to essentially use as a weapon against its citizens, like that power that they're currently like wielding
1: should be something that makes people nervous i think this just goes to show that our country is headed in a trajectory that is just not good and we should be scared for what this power means for us in the future as citizens of this country like other freedoms and liberties are going to be infringed upon and i think we need to be really cautious of that and like you said that's why this individualist mindset has just got to go. You know, we need to be prepared for what the future can hold for us because we are now able to see what our country is capable of doing. And this whole situation could should concern you, whether or not you live in a conservative state or a liberal state. And just in general, you you should be empathetic towards the people that are not living in blue states right now. You should be really upset that this is going to impact other people severely, even if it may not impact you directly.
0: Who's to say that somewhere down the line, I'm not going to end up with like, a job opportunity or something with a family member that I end up moving to a state where it's not legal. And what if it affects me then? Like the idea that, I don't know, I've seen a lot of stuff about how people are, are people saying online, well, then just go to a state where it's legal. That is assuming that somebody has the resources and the ability to do that. Okay. Yeah. There are so many people who cannot just get up and move like your whole life could be built in one place and obviously I don't think anybody plans for this to happen these are not planned circumstances in which somebody is seeking an abortion you know what I mean like
2: you're already in
0: a vulnerable state to just say oh we'll just move
2: Mm -hmm. what that's just not logical and it doesn't make any sense and it's like it doesn't like I don't know it doesn't really matter even if I continue like Just moving to a democratic state or something like, I'm still living in a country that does not believe that I have the right, over my body. I don't have rights over my body. Exactly. You know, who's to say that that form of power isn't going to end up impacting the democratic state that I live in? Like it's. I don't know, this might be far out, but like, this might sound conspiracy theorist-esque to some people. But like, for many, this decision is another step towards living in a fascist country. And I think that is what people should be concerned about, even if you're in a blue state.
0: I was gonna say, I truly think that this the abortion this one ruling is just the beginning yeah. of everything that we're going to see and i don't know what's going to happen what cases are on the ballot for them to be ruling on in the future but i genuinely think that this is just the beginning and if they're starting to take away rights from women yeah there's already countless legislation you know that works against people of color women of color you know we don't live these things already exist whether or not we choose to pay attention to them or acknowledge them is different for everybody but these oppressive laws and structures and systems have always existed they've just morphed and now i feel like they're just becoming more mainstream they're becoming more out in the open for everybody to see it's not this thing that we yeah. sweep under the rug and act like we don't do, even though we've done it the entire time. They're bold with it now. Mm-hmm. They're like, we don't care about women.
2: Yeah.
0: We already knew that. We've yeah. known that. Yeah. But now yeah. they're putting it in bright, bold red letters for everybody to see the entire world to see. Yeah. And I truly am like, I I do not know what's going to happen in the future. And that that's scary yeah that is very concerning I mean especially as a young person like I have my whole life ahead of me this is not a decision where it's just like oh that really sucks and then I kick the bucket in 10 years like no this is going to affect me my kids my grandkids and I have no idea what I'm gonna like how what that means yeah sorry for that little tangent um As we said, our opinions were definitely going to come through on this. But (sighs) moving on to the next segment of this portion of the episode, I thought that it would be helpful to kind of go into which states um, have have banned abortion, which states are on the fence, and which ones where it's legal. I've seen a lot of different things come out, um, specifically around trigger laws and how many states have them. Based on my current understanding, again, we're only four days post decision. From my understanding, 13 states have trigger laws. Eight of those states' trigger laws went into effect the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, from my understanding, a trigger law was essentially a law that states had written in place to um, ban abortion in the event that Roe v. Wade was overturned. So it was almost like pre written legislation that said if this thing happened, this is what we would do. So currently, um, you know, it's June 29th. And as of June 29th, the information that we have right now is that the states where abortion is illegal are Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Missouri, South Dakota, and Texas. Then, and I'd like to say this information is from Teen Vogue. States that are likely to ban abortion soon include Wyoming, Mississippi, Idaho, Tennessee, North Dakota, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, and South Carolina. Then 16 states in Washington DC have protected the right to abortion. These states include California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington State. So again, these things I think are very much subject subject to change. Mm-hmm. And each state, That's that I think is the biggest thing. The, the law is in the hands of the states now. It's up to each state to determine their own provisions as far as Restrictions for trimesters, um, you know, saving a mom or not saving a mom, issues of rape and incest. So these things are all on state by state basis. And so I think it's going to take a while for us to really understand the full implications of what each state is planning to do and what each state actually enacts through their legislation. Um, and that, again, is just one of the many scary things about this. It's just, there's so much room for legislators to kind of take things into their own hands. I know that there's states where they're not, they're not going to include exceptions for rape and incest. I am terrified of the fact that there's gonna be states where they don't care if the mom's going to die. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we know now as far as how the states are going. I know that with the states that I just listed, that didn't add up to 50 i think the states that were missing from that list sourced by teen vogue we just don't know yeah what exactly their what their plan is um so there, yeah there's a lot of uncertainty in these you know days post decision yeah mm-hmm. um but i think a question that a lot of us are asking ourselves is like what is the impact of this going to be like we're still trying to understand who's impacted or, you know, on, on a state basis. But what does this mean? And I think that something that I've seen a lot is that Roe v. Wade is going to disproportionately affect women of color. Um, and so this is something that Peyton and I definitely wanted to touch on.
2: Yeah. So essentially in terms of statistics for women that have abortions, and I know that women is kind of an exclusive term because gender nonconforming people have abortions, but there really aren't a lot of statistics about gender nonconforming people having abortions. So these are about women.
0: Yeah. Exclusive um, gender
2: yeah. women. Mm-hmm. Um so 29 states plus Washington DC actually report um racial and ethnic data on abortions. So this is where this information is coming from. So according to the CDC in 2019, 38% of all women who had abortions were non-Hispanic Black, 33% were non-Hispanic White, 21% were Hispanic, and 7% were of other races or ethnicities. To put it in other terms so that maybe you can conceptualize that a bit better. Um, Think of it in terms of how many women out of 1,000 women. So in 2019, the abortion rate for black women was 23.8 women per 1,000 women. For Hispanic women, it is 11.7 women per 1,000 women. And for white women, it's 6.6 per 1,000 women. Yeah. So, So you
0: see how it disproportionately impacts women of color when there's access or the legality of it is taken away. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Because you have to understand that, I guess, in general terms, white women do typically have more abortions than women of color. But you need to understand that there are far more white women living in this country than there are women of color. So This is how we know that it does end up impacting women of color more because, like, that thirty-eight percent may not seem like a large number, but when you take thirty-eight percent out of a much like smaller overall quantity, then it is a lot more women, a lot more people at the end of the day. Exactly. Um, So that's essentially why we were trying to think about this in like the statistics that are brought up about mass incarceration how technically there are more like white people that are like sitting in prisons right now
0: but it's the rate of incarceration yeah that is far different the rate yeah. of incarceration for like Black men specifically yeah. is much, 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 much higher than yeah. it is for white men. Yeah. So numbers aside, like physical inmates aside, what we're talking about is about the rates and how disproportionate those are. Yeah. And that's how you see the disproportionate effects of things like incarceration and now these abortion laws impacting people of color specifically. Yeah. And I think a couple, I mean, a bunch of notable people have made this comment already. But I do want to say that we we already know that rich people, specifically, usually rich white women, are still going to have access to abortions. When yeah. the mistresses of politician mm-hmm. Johnny, you know,
2: yeah, if
0: he ends up pregnant, if the daughter of politician so and so in Kansas needs one those people are still going to have access to the healthcare that they need. And if you can pay for it, if you can pay to travel to a different state, if you can pay for like a procedure, you know, that's that's underground yeah. or whatever, you're gonna have access. Yeah. It's yeah. the women who do not have the resources, who do not have the funds, who do not have the support to do that, which again, are going to be disproportionately women of color they're the ones who are going to suffer the most the 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 people who who like yeah the people who can afford to have them or need them or whatever they're gonna they're gonna be fine and this whole thing is only going to prevent safe legal abortions from happening yeah in communities um in disadvantaged communities they're still going to happen there's just more women that are going to die and that is the sad sad reality of it
2: yeah and they don't care Mm
0: -hmm. thing as in the government there are many many people who care yeah but the government clearly does not
2: yeah yeah so yeah like you said like the main reason why these rates are higher for women of color is due to a lack of resources like sex education um health insurance meaning no health care Um, and contraceptives and things like that. Because when you think of, you know, the places where like a lot of people of color end up inhabiting, these end up being places that are largely underfunded by the government and they're not receiving the care and access to different resources that they need. And also like, because we were mentioning mass incarceration, it's important to understand that now with these new anti-abortion laws this is just another way to potentially criminalize women of color and people of color with you know with their attempt to get an abortion or something mm-hmm. like that um and their reasoning for not get for trying to get an abortion is cuz they don't have the care and resources that they need from the government to have a child but then the government ends up criminalizing them and it's just like yeah a never-ending cycle and then you know like if these women do end up having children and they can't afford it don't have the things to provide for their children then the government takes their children away puts them in foster care system and like broken
0: foster care system
2: it's just yeah it's a vicious cycle yeah. um so we had kind of briefly touched upon the fact that like you know there are a lot of people that have been trying to warn us that Roe v Wade was going to be overturned and this was like predominantly women of color that were telling us that this was going to happen, but weren't really listening. I mean, and the reasoning for that is because women of colors, you know, bodily autonomy has been continuously infringed upon. So with that, they obviously know that this is going to happen. This is inevitable essentially, but nobody has been paying attention to what has been happening to them one and what they have been saying too um yeah and so ayanna presley um had like this quote that i just feel like i think it was a tweet actually That like kind of helps us make sense of this today is a dark day in our nation's history and this decision is a devastating confirmation of what Black and brown reproductive justice organizers have been sounding the alarms about for years. This court will stop at nothing to strip away our reproductive freedom and our fundamental right to bodily autonomy. Um, another person, Isra Pananon Weeks, um, kind of talks about how this decision impacts. Asian American API women as well. She says, this is a direct and pernicious assault on people of color, including Asian American and Pacific Islander communities, where the path to abortion care is riddled with language barriers, cultural stigmas, and low rates of insurance coverage among our most vulnerable community members. So again, this kind of helps us have a framework as to why women of color are in a worse situation because of yeah. the, you know, even the act of being able to get a safe and legal abortion when Roe v. Wade was in place was incredibly difficult for women of color. So, right. you know, the percentage of these abortion rates here, like this isn't including the countless, you know, attempts that many women have had with trying to do an abortion themselves or getting abortion in illegal and unsafe manners. It doesn't even really account for that.
0: There's 21 other states that haven't even released data relating to race and ethnicity and abortion. So these numbers are not fully accurate. And I think that Remembering that Roe v. Wade was kind of it was it was decided initially, no, no, 1973, at a time when white feminism was the mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, women of color during that time were actively organizing and actively building coalitions, but their voices were not the ones at the forefront of the women's movement in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. It was still dominated in the mainstream. I'm gonna make that very clear, in the mainstream by white women and Roe v Wade became this like landmark groundbreaking decision and this major win specifically like in like the mindset and thought processes of white women. Exactly. They benefited their most from this. Not saying that women of color didn't benefit from the right to an abortion as well, because they did, but the barriers were still in place and where there there were more structural barriers for women of color in these situations, even more cultural barriers to women of color in these situations than white women. So for this to kind of go down in the way that it has, yes, we've seen a bunch of people, people, all types of people be infuriated, rightfully so. I'm infuriated by this, but I think that this is not the only area of reproductive care in which organizers have been trying to like make waves and trying to get people to pay attention to. we don't, we talk about the fact that the mortality rate for black women is what I believe three times higher than it is for white women in terms of pregnancy. Yeah, we know that's a statistic. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what today's doctors are doing to change that statistic. But I do know that that statistic exists. And you don't really hear about people being infuriated about it in the same way. I mean, when you have a woman like Serena Williams almost die giving birth, who has all types of access she she she's serena williams if yeah. serena williams can't get like taken seriously mm-hmm. by a doctor what are the rest of us supposed to do exactly. what are the, like that's something that actually truly scares me about having kids in the future like knowing that they might not take my pain seriously because of the history of treatment by black women in medicine that's a whole other conversation to have but That is an issue of reproductive rights that we don't talk about very much. Just like we don't talk about the fact there have been women in California who have been forcibly sterilized in prisons, having like non-consensual hysterectomies. Mm -hmm. Same thing with indigenous women on different reservations. Yeah. We are not talking about these issues Mm -hmm. because let's go back to American individualism. If it's not affecting me, if it doesn't appear to affect the majority then why should I care? Yeah. And it's, it's really, excuse my language. It's really fucked up, Yeah. but that's where we are right now. Yeah. And that's why I think that Roe v. Wade being overturned is just the beginning of all of the different restrictions on people's rights that we're going to see. But this is the one that we're going to pay very close attention to because now white women are paying attention. Yeah.
1: And I don't
0: think that they were before, mm-hmm. but now that they have. And so I think maybe it was Natalie Portman who was like, okay, well now it's time to change our tactics. This is this is fuel to become reinvigorated. And it shouldn't have taken something as big as this to like make people pay attention to politics again. I feel like we always saw like when Biden was elected, it was like, don't stop paying attention to politics. Now the Biden's in power. There's still a lot of things to pay attention to. And did we? No. I'm using we in a very broad sense, but we didn't. We, we didn't.
2: Very naively thought that because Trump's presidency was over, that like the lasting effects of his presidency weren't a thing, which is so far from the truth because we now know that, you know, the three people that he elected to the Supreme Court, you know, are a part of the reason why this is happening. And like, you know, Trump legacy is still alive well, even if he's not in office technically.
0: And it will be and will continue to be.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: For decades.
2: Yeah. Um, I also wanted to um talk about, you know, how this also impacts native people, native women specifically. Um many Native women cannot afford private health insurance. So they end up relying on the federal Indian Health Service, um, which is provided by the government, obviously, it's that is subject to the Hyde Amendment, which is a provision that blocks um, federal funds from covering abortion services. So that also prevents Native women from being able to have access to abortion. And again, you have to understand, like Native women have been put in a situation by the government where they can't access healthcare, they can't access health insurance. And then because of that, they have to rely on the government to try to help them resolve Mm -hmm. issues that the government caused in the first place. And then the government isn't allowing them to have, you know, rights over their bodies, which, you know, that is how the government has always treated Indigenous people in this country since the beginning of time. Yeah. Uh, And at the same time, Native women are continuously being sexually assaulted on their Native land by white men without any repercussions at all and nothing nothing is happening with any of this um so it again this is just something that it's it's just a worse situation for women of color continuously and it's all of these different like systemic issues compounding on top of one another and all of the all of these things have been continuously happening like you said McKenna like all all of these you know infringements upon women of color's bodies have been happening for so long but nobody's paid any attention to them because they haven't been happening to white women you know um and so now that roe v wade is overturned it obviously does disproportionately negative negatively impact women of color but at the same time it forces a lot more white women to now like have babies that they maybe didn't want to have before and that makes a lot of white women very upset <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's something that is about them. Us as white women, we've never had to experience being forcibly sterilized without our consent because historically in this country, the people that have been encouraged to have babies since the beginning of time is white women. White women have been homemakers and we've been housewives. And so, I think it's very important to understand that this is a race issue. This isn't something that, like, you you have to consider race when you're talking about this. Yeah,
0: it's you like, have to consider race, you have to consider class, you have to consider definitely. sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you,
2: there's this, I think she's a sociologist, Um, but her name is Jane Elliott, and she compared you know anti-abortion legislation to racial eugenics and a lot of people think that that's like really kind of outlandish but it it's the truth because you see what like the current population of white people is in this country um in 2018 white people made up 60% of the population which is down from a about like 90% from like 1950. So that's a big shift. That's a big mm-hmm. shift. And it's projected that like by 2050, that white people will be in like the quote unquote minority, really like, you know, population minority. Yeah. And so, you know, yes, of course, a lot of this legislation is about controlling women's bodies and that, you know, needs to be thought about. But it also is largely about, you know, people in positions of power wanting to control people of color's bodies Mm -hmm. and also wanting white people to remain in the majority. And, And since Roe v. Wade, you know, we've seen so many more white women kind of leave the home and go into the workforce. And. Have fewer children and I don't know, live the lives of men essentially, something that most white feminists fought for in the 70s and 60s. So there was like this massive shift in like a, you know, a Roe v-Wade world where women were no longer really taking the role of just like a dutiful housewife and mom. They wanted more for themselves and so yeah white women have been having less children like that hasn't been the primary thing that they have been focusing on and that is such a freedom that we have been able to have women of color in this country have not had the same freedom i mean women of color haven't had the choice of whether or not they want to go to work they they have had to go to work they have also been enslaved forcing them to work against their will. So we have to kind of understand that the overturning of Roe v. Wade is largely in due to like this white extinction anxiety, like people being concerned for how like the future of our country is going to be. I find it interesting how people always talk about how our country kind of began as like, a melting pot, which, you know, it's an overused term. But I think if any time in our country's history has been representative of a melting pot, it's present day. Like we've never had a more like diverse country than we do now. And it's only going to get more diverse over the years. And like white people in power are terrified of that happening
0: it scares them yeah and their core
2: yeah like you see people's reaction to like Barack Obama becoming president one black man becoming president for eight years and that's it and who knows the next time we'll see you know another person of color in office but like people couldn't even fathom that you know and so yeah this this is obviously like an issue for women and people that have uteruses but it's also an issue of white supremacy too yeah you, you can't separate those two no
0: they are intertwined in ways that yeah there there are outlets who would like to make you think that that's some radical idea, but from where I'm standing, it's very clear that that is the truth.
2: Yeah. That is
0: what's happening. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we know that that was a lot and there's still so much more that we have to say on this. So we're gonna you know, kind of close out part one here. Mm-hmm. This hopefully gave you an overview of, you know, the history, some statistics, in addition to some of our own thoughts. But in this next episode, after we'll have had some more time to process, we'd like to dive deeper into our thoughts because there is so, 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 so much more to say on this topic and there always will be. And I know that like, we didn't even probably scratch the surface of everything that we could have talked about today, but um, for the sake of our own, you know, mental health, mental sanity, um, I think we're gonna kind of leave you all here and pick it back up in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you all so much for listening. You know, we hope that you learned something through this episode. We're gonna keep posting um like resources and things like that on our Instagram at not a girlboss pod. um So yeah, you can definitely check us out there to kind of stay updated on our, on the things that we're seeing and the things that we're looking at in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye.